Das Leben kann hektisch sein. Warum nicht dem Alltag entfliehen und in die magische Welt von Evermerge eintauchen? Evermerge ist ein magisches Land, das mit jeder Entdeckung größer und besser wird. Werde ein Merge Master. Baue und sammle einzigartige Gegenstände oder verschönere deine eigene wundersame Welt. Im Land von Evermerge gibt es immer etwas zu tun. Evermerge. Jetzt kostenlos im App Store herunterladen. Right, welcome to the Chelsea Fancast preview show. It, of course, it is Friday night, seven o'clock, uh, which means we're doing the preview show, obviously. But of course, it also means that I'm joined by the right honourable Mr. Jonathan Kidd. A joy to be on the show with with with. I can't speak. Help! I can't speak. Help! What am I going to do? Um, lovely to be on the show. Thank you. Yeah, good to see you, mate. Uh, and uh, I'm absolutely delighted. Uh, to see this man. He's one of my favourite people. He's also, I know for an absolute proven fact, that he's one of the favourite <laughs> favorite people on the on the Chelsea fan cast because I see it on Twitter all of the time. Absolutely delighted to see you, Clayton. Yes, lovely to be here. Friday night, beginning of the weekend. It is indeed. Hurrah. It is indeed. Uh, and this is, uh, I mean, it's actually, it, it feels, it does, I mean, I know we've kind of appropriated the love sports show that we used to do on a Friday night. Uh, thankfully, minus all the bloody travelling and everything, but uh, it, it does have a bit of a reunion feel tonight, and there'll be more of that later because we've got we'll have Ollie Harbord from uh, Football London joining us to talk about Frank Lampard's press conference, and then in opposition view later on we will have the absolutely lovely Matt Beadle, who of course you may remember anybody who listened to the Friday Night Love Sports shows was one of the five hundred presenters they they lobbed at us. Uh, but I think I think it's safe to say that Matt was probably our favourite because he's a lovely, lovely bloke. He'll be joining us for the opposition view. But before we get into all of that, uh, the first item on the agenda is uh, Chelsea playing Sevilla. Um, now, I'm going to preface this by saying um, I actually thought it was a really good game of football, proper Champions League football. Sevilla are clearly uh, our main rivals in the group to to proceed to the next round. Vitally important that we didn't lose the first, uh, you know, the first match like we did last year against Valencia. So, you know, I thought a nil-nil was not a bad result at all. In fact, it was, a, it was a good point to get, all things considered. So, Jonathan, please explain to me the utter shithousery and meltdown on bloody social media about it. Well, I, I think what it is is they they like us scoring goals. And so the fact that it seemed to be um, more of a defensive setup, or even not setup. I think it was set up to attack, but the fact that it it contained them um, didn't satisfy those who had prophesied a, a four-three uh, with a lot of excitement, as opposed to the slightly dull. Um, uh, but you, you say it was dull, but did you not think it was a you know an interesting game of football? You know, it was. It was yeah. interesting, but I'm going on on what we've oh, been right, expecting. Right, right, right. From watching the watching the Premier League this season, which is that everybody just seems to score at will and make terrible mistakes, whereas it was actually rather disciplined. I mean, it obviously make it make great sense to me that that clearly that having Silver and Mendy together just makes the defence look that much better. 
Um, and defensively, I think it was, uh, as was established by the, uh, the no goals conceded, it was a much, much better performance than we've experienced recently. However, um, perhaps there was too much emphasis on defending um, and it blunted the attack, though Werner had several occasions when uh, um, he snatched at it and could have actually, the game would have changed if he'd grabbed a goal. But um, I think people were... People were um, people like us scoring, and you wonder whether that's the uh, the video game um, um, as aspect of the audience, uh, rather than looking at it as something that, um, uh, which I think was reflected in the responses by the players on Twitter, which is that they felt that they were organising the defence was very well organised, um, but it was it was like a, they now have to get used to playing. Um, a slightly more attacking involvement, even though the defence is good. It's almost as if we, at the moment, can't have both working together. But um, uh, it, it spoke volumes to me that um, uh, clearly that you need to have a, a goalkeeper who isn't going to give you a goal away again. And I, I'm still not convinced. I'm jumping the gun here, of course. I'm still not convinced by Zuma. But um, um, no, I think he was. I think you. I think you're right there, but having said that, I mean, like we've been saying for weeks, really, um, Silver. I mean, you know, it's it's a good old classic, isn't it? A really good, experienced centre half tends to make a poor, an inexperienced one better, and we've seen it so many, so many times. I mean, I'm going to start with that first, Clayton, with you. I mean, you know, Mendy and Silver don't half make a difference. Like, uh, like we didn't know that. I mean, they were clearly missed massively against Southampton. And and it it looked a very different a very different defence I think and I loved I loved I loved Mendy pouring that one I mean he poured it away like a big bear didn't he it was brilliant that chance it's great say yeah very um very underrated at the time I don't think that people actually when you saw it live because of the camera angles and the the amount of players in front of him you couldn't actually. Um, you couldn't actually anticipate what he'd done, um, and it was a great save. Um, yes, Mendy and Silva make a huge difference um, with Jonathan. I, th I think the thing is with Kurt Zuma is that Kurt Zuma is, whenever he's got the ball at his feet, everybody holds their breath because he he looks like Bambi on ice, always has done and always will do. I think he's just one of those players. He's not... Um, not saying he's not comfortable with the ball at his feet, but if he is, he doesn't look it. Um, and I think he had a very tentative game again. I don't know whether that was a hangover from Southampton or whatever, but but the, the, the simple fact of the matter is that his presence in the side is fairly essential because without him, we haven't got any aerial presence at the back. Obviously, Mendy um, will have more of a presence than any of our other keepers. Um but yeah, we did look solid. I don't think that. Sorry, Jonathan. Unless it's Petr Cech, of course. Unless it's Petr Cech. We might, we, um, might, we might address that later. I tell you, it's a real evening for goalkeepers tonight, Clayton. So glad we got you on. Yeah, so, yeah. Serendipity. No, okay. Yeah. Um, so it it was it was solid um, to a point. I, obviously, we didn't concede any goals. I think that both fullbacks were excellent on the night. Um, I mean, it's been said here, it was said on television and, and, and Glenda said it uh, on commentary. 
Chilwell looks like he's been there for years. Mm. He, he really does. He's just slotted in and he looks fantastic. Really defended um, well, I thought, as well, actually. I, I, I yeah. noticed his defending more than I noticed his attacking and I was really pleased to see it. That wonderful yeah. moment, Chidge, when, when he, um, he he recovered Zuma's error. Yeah. yeah. A dreadful error, which I thought was going to lead to a goal. Uh, and um, and he just got back like a, an express train and just snuffed the danger out. Yeah. And you thought, yeah, that's well, he shouldn't have made the error in the first place. But you thought, well, yeah, they're covering each other. Yeah. That was so that's good. That's what you want to see. It's teamwork. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, it's a team. Yeah. I mean, let, let's talk about the other end as well, because, I mean, I thought we did. I thought we defended really, really well as a team. And I think some individuals really did stand out. You know, I, I accept Zuma, you know, wasn't the the perfect defender but you know we did all right and we didn't concede and that's really really important um I think the other end I mean you know what Jonathan was saying about people's reactions on on Twitter and stuff and and blah 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 blah. I I thought Sevilla were a really doughty well-organized well-drilled team you know and I and it, it had that feel about it after a while didn't it that you know it was there was going to be a goal in this either way, you know. If anybody was going to win it, because they they know how to defend. I was really I was impressed with them. I think actually I think they were a lot better than I expected them to be. J.K. Well, the the, the theory is even they were discussing on um, uh, on the television is that they might very well win um, La Liga this year um, uh, because they're playing so well. And he appears the signings they've made, like Rakitic from Barcelona, appear just to have bolstered them. Yeah. So, um, uh, and it, they were saying that, of course, if they don't get through the group stages, then they'll be back in the in the Europa League again, which they've only won the six times. But yeah, I think they're. Um, uh, I love that that what's his name, De Jong, of course, played for Newcastle for a period without a huge amount of success. Who clearly is a very canny forward, um, who did wonderfully in the. Uh, uh, in the Champions League last year, um, yeah, they're 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 a really good side, and um, and I think that uh, we did really really well. It was such a shame that the few opportunities we did have um, were were just not quite. Um, um, there were no there were no really in, what I would call incisive enough. No, but no I real clear cut chances. No, but you there? expect. I, I've got such high hopes for Werner. I expect him to to score when it's a half chance. He had a couple of things couple of shots that he got really annoyed with himself that he scuffed um that i think that the player that we are going to have ultimately will score those chances because i think he's that good i really think he's a class act i think this is one of the the uh this, this has been a terrific signing and they really have spotted him spotted it well and uh, persuaded him it's just a question of everybody gelling um if the defence gels and the forward line gels, we're going to be a really terrific side, I have to say. I mean, talking about that, Clayton, the one the one area that... I, I mean, I understand... I mean, we talked about it in depth last, last Monday, actually, but I still... It, it seems unsatisfactory, and, and that is the Mount and Pulisic situation in. And I, and I, I feel that, you know, Mount's kind of being shoehorned in at the moment because Frank wants to play this 4-2-3-1. And I and I, I would absolutely have Mount starting every game too because I think I think he's he's so important to the side as a whole. But for me, Pulisic is so much better on the left as it actually proved for a period. There's a period of about 15 minutes, Clayton, where where Pulisic did move to the left, and suddenly we looked a very different team going forward. Now, you know, there's there's a school of thought saying that 
you know, Frank is concerned about players ending up in the same place, crowding each other out. There's the idea of certain people needing to cover more and all the rest of it when, when teams attack us. So I understand the reasoning before it, but, you know, as, as a very famous voiceover artist once said on the Chelsea fan cast many years ago, it's just not working for me, Clayton. Oh, happy days. Were you, were you um, on that one? No, I wasn't, oh, right. sadly. <laughs> sadly. I, don't think, I don't think I was on that no, one. Not I... for long, mate. Not for long. <laughs> I, I was on many previous shows where Jonathan's IT was imploding on a weekly basis, um, but that culminated in, in, the, in that particular moment. I, yeah, I, th- I think the thing was that, as you say, and I don't even think it was 15 minutes, I think for about five, maybe 10 minutes at the beginning of the second half, Pulisic was on the left and we really troubled them. And then all of a sudden, from nowhere, he's back on the right. And it's just like, what? why has that happened? I don't know. I mean, I, th- I think, and I'll say this um, time and time again, we're, a be- we're always a better side with Mason Mount in it. But I think at the moment, Frank's got too many options and he's not—he's still not, I'm not quite sure what works. And I, I, I think that whatever he tried on Tuesday night didn't really work from an offensive point of view. And um, I, I think that um, Havertz got lost. I, I think he just disappeared for large chunks of the second half. He ran the length of the field on one occasion. Yeah, yeah. Um, But that that was a rare soiree into the into the second half, into the opponent's half. I just think a lot of it passed him by. Um, I think that's possibly because Sevilla had three or four in midfield who were swamping what we had in midfield. I don't know. It's, it's it's very frustrating. I think the bottom line is that when you've got such amazing attacking talent, um, to see it sort of misfiring. And to be honest, I mean, their keeper didn't really have that much to do all night. Um, so I, I, I just think it's a frustration. I think we will get there and Frank will get there, but I think it's going to take time. And I, I don't think Pulisic... Is, a, is hitting the straps as he did at the end of last season. I think he's he's sort of not oh, quite there. And yeah. whether he's not quite there because he's not being played where he wants to be played, I'm not sure. I think it, I think they're getting... I think, you know, players... I think a lot of them are... You know, we know Pulisic is actually getting back to full fitness after he didn't really have any pre-season because of his injury. So I think it's understandable. I agree with you. Let's have some faith. It will, it will all work out. Now, we've got to disappear for a quick break. But when we come back... Um, we're going to have the wonderful Ollie Harbour with us to talk about Frank's press conference today. We'll see you in a sec. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to Chidge and the Boys on the Chelsea Football Fancast. Total nutters and proper Chelsea. Footballfancast.com. Right, welcome back. This is the Chelsea Fancast preview show, of course. Uh, and it's me, Stanford Chidge, Mr. Jonathan Kidd, uh, the lovely Clayton Beerman. And I'm really Hello. very delighted to say, uh, because we haven't we haven't actually seen him for ages. I mean, obviously, I, I'm in regular touch with Ollie because of the 
Football London articles I do, but we haven't actually spoken to him for ages. And it's lovely to see you, Ollie. It's lovely to see you guys as well. Yes. It's been a while. It has. You're looking well. Am I? Oh, thanks. You're you looking a bit tired, mate. I'm not surprised because you work so bloody hard. But anyway. It's a shave, I have to say. Uh, well, yeah. You've obviously clearly hadn't managed to have a haircut, unlike some of us. <laughs> as I said, you know, look. But anyway, enough of that. I'm not going to mention hair because it's a bit unfair on the other two. Anyway. Um... Oh, 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 oh. oh, dear. Oh, dear. I, knew, I just knew. I knew I'd get that reaction. I know. You can you can almost count them, JK. It's true, you know. Anyway, let's... I've got nine here. I know. You're doing very well, really. Anyway, Ollie, you were uh, obviously at the press conference today. Mm. Um my, I mean, you know, some interesting questions today, I thought. But, I mean, the, the, you know, we've just been talking about the severe game. And we were we were very happy with Chelsea's defensive performance. We thought it was much better. Obviously, it really helps having Mendy and Silva there. Um, and, and Frank was asked about this, about the confidence that hopefully the team derives from a good defensive performance. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think Lampard knows, I think we all know, that if it's just a one-off, it's kind of like, well, what's the point? <laughs> really, I think that's, that's what he's trying to get at. I think he wants now to see consistency. And it's something he's spoken about a little bit over the you know, the course of the beginning of the campaign, you know, we know that he's chopped and changed a lot at the back over his reign so far. You know, the combinations between Christensen and Rudiger last season looked like that might be maybe a mainstay and it didn't really work out. Um, you know, Tamori and and Zuma and everyone's basically been used at every, at every time. But I think now he wants to see some consistency. I think we know, obviously, that Ben Chilwell is going to be the number one left back Um we know that Mendy's going to be the number one goalkeeper. There you go. You've got some stability already in two key positions. Right back is still a little bit up for grabs. But I think Reese James did a lot to go to, you know, prove some of the doubting wrong abilities. Yeah. I mean, we know that he can get forward. We know he can cross the ball. But defensively, he was very, very solid. And that's yeah. what everyone was looking for. And the key now is just at the back and those two central defenders. I thought Kurt Zuma made a few mistakes, uh, but he got away with it. But Thiago Silva just looks so confident and composed. Um, and if he can stay fit and he, you know, he's obviously going to be rotated at times, you know, expecting to start tomorrow and then not play against Krasnodar. That's kind of what you think might happen. Um, but yeah, I think Lampard knows that. And so the confidence obviously does breed once you have clean sheets, but it can't just be one. That's the thing. It has to be, a, you know, a build up of clean sheets or, you know, even conceding one at times, just, to show some stability, and that was kind of what he was getting at a bit today. Mm, I, I agree with that. Um, you know, we mentioned it in passing a minute ago, and I know it was mentioned in the press conference, but the, I mean, you know, I, I know people have blown it up out of all proportion about Petr Cech making the Premier League squad, but I, I, I mean, if you read behind it, there's a lot of sense because of the, you know, the, the restrictions because of COVID um, and the bubble and all of that. Um, so, you know, he's unlikely to play and you can understand why they've done it. But some, I don't know who it was because I didn't, I haven't seen the press conference myself. So maybe you can out who asked the question. Of course, now this is when Ollie says it was him, but you know. <laughs> so who, who, uh, who asked? About check. Um, I believe that might have been Sky, was it, about Petr Cech? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I think that, uh, yeah, look, the situation with, with Cech coming in, it kind of, it does make sense in a way just because, you know, for example, you could look at there's a couple of players that aren't in the bubble and who you'd think could be in the squad. For example, Danny Drinkwater, who didn't get a loan and is now going to be basically training with the under-23s or on his own. And obviously Baba Raman as well. But obviously, you know, now that Chelsea didn't let go of Emerson and Alonso, they have three left-backs. There's no need to have another left-back in the squad. The, the situation with Czech, obviously, is that 
it's just a very difficult position. And also the goalkeepers train separately together. They are quite a close unit. So to have an extra goalkeeper there kind of just made sense, really. If you look at it kind of like that, I mean, it shocked everyone, <laughs> obviously, but it does, in a way, make make some sense compared to bringing maybe Drinkwater or, or Raman into this world. Well, I look forward to seeing Petr Cech uh, saving uh, the last penalty in the Champions League final <laughs> next year the poetic justice of that would just be I, I think I would just that would be mic drop moment of all time and I would walk away from football and everything if I saw that happen It'd be I mean brilliant. I think he showed that he's not he, obviously he said that um, Kepa is going to be injured for tomorrow so he's yeah. not going to be part of the squad but yeah. Czech won't be part of the travelling playing squad he'll be in the director's box no doubt as he usually is yeah. Um, yeah. so you expect Carlo Ziga to be the, the third choice goalkeeper yeah. tomorrow um, also in the Champions League squad as well so that's likely how it's going to be well yeah, talking about tomorrow. I mean, you know, we've got a, we've got a pretty lousy uh, recent record against United. I, mean, I know we we knocked them out at the semi final of the cup, which is which is make, made me deliriously happy. But you know, I remember a time as the boys here will as well when even when we were fairly rubbish, we used to be able to turn up at Old Trafford and get a decent result. And I think we had until recent times one of the best away records at Old Trafford of any club. But it's all gone a bit south recently. But it's a huge game, which Frank obviously will know very well. But, I mean, con- kind of conflating two questions in one, really. You know, he talked also a lot about it's a very open season this season, isn't it? It's kind of a bit mad. Nobody quite knows what's going on yet. And he, he kind of had an explanation for that, didn't he? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, with, with the situation with, with COVID and everything going on and the fact that, you know, Chelsea didn't have a pre-season, he's made that pretty clear for several weeks. Um, you know, a lot of clubs struggled. Obviously, they had Chelsea had a number of COVID isolations as well, which didn't help. So most of the squad didn't train before they then went off on England international duty and then came back. So, you know, he has made that pretty clear that the, the sort of they're learning as they go and these squads are developing and getting match fitness and gelling all these new signings as they play in live matches, which isn't obviously ideal. It's not the way he would have wanted it, but that's just the situation and he did say that that's kind of the same for quite a lot of clubs as well so that's why we're seeing a very bizarre start to the campaign um you know set uh, teams are, are not keeping the clean sheets that you would expect so they're not as tight a unit as you would expect um and that's the same for united so there's definitely weaknesses there to be exploited i think if you know chelsea can show the the forward attacking show uh, play that they did against southampton but also keep the defensive ability that they did against Sevilla, then it's going to be a perfect performance, isn't it? But I think that that's that's what they're striving towards. They're not quite there yet. Um, yeah, yeah, they aspire to that. Ultimately, they aspire to that combination. Yeah, that's what... of that's why I felt there was a Twitter meltdown because they people are so used to actually that they're getting lots of shots on goal and looking dynamic up front, but being feeble in, in defence. And suddenly they're 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 stalwart and strong in defence and not quite on it up front. And everybody then has a wobbly about it. And you just go, yeah. well, no, hang on. One is contributing to the other. I think they were so defensively competent against Sevilla that it slightly detracted. It wasn't as the cogs didn't work as well up front. So I yeah. think Frank Lampard as well, you could tell, was so pleased with the defensive work. And it's just fine. I mean, the, look, the amount of talent they've got up, up front now that you kind of, if you can deal with it, if you can sort the defence now, I think he knows that after a few games, after, you know, it will take some time, but these guys really can gel and create, you know, what can be a very exciting, attacking unit. I mean, you know, obviously Ziyech coming back in, Pulisic is still finding his feet as well, fitness-wise. 
Um, you know, you've got the likes of Hudson Adoy, who is now struggling to get into the side. Mason Mount, where does he play as well? I mean, there's so many options. Um, you know, Ziyech said in his press conference the other day that he wants to be a number 10 as well, not just a winger. He can play in the, in the role that Havertz does. So that gives you another option in there. Um, Werner, obviously Tammy Abraham as well, and Olivier Giroud, who we've not seen at all. Oh. You know, I feel like that's slightly criminally underused again. Oh, I feel for Giroud. Um, I feel for know, him so much. And we've established that he's such a good It's quite player. interesting, isn't it? On, on Tuesday night, it was absolutely screaming for Giroud. It really was. And you just wonder if he can't get on then, when's he going to be used? Um, Ollie, the, the, hello. Uh, the, the, the excuse about not having pre-season, I think completely and utterly valid, um, especially beginning first couple of weeks. How many more weeks is Frank going to get away with saying that, well, in your I, opinion? In my opinion, I think it's coming to an end, I have to say. I think it's been a few, it has been a few weeks now, Um you know, he's not had everyone, obviously, all the new signings. And I think on Tuesday night was the first time we'd seen all six new signings on the pitch at the same time. Um, you know, and we are talking about six new signings who aren't just squad players, um, I have to say. I think, you know, these are guys that are really first-team contenders and starting contenders. Uh, and so, obviously, we haven't seen fully yet everyone. But I do feel like it's coming to a bit of an end. I think that, you know, United tomorrow is probably a, a good time because I feel like this is a situation where they are now showing that they have made some progression over these last few weeks. And then Krasnodar, of course, you know, an away trip, which is tough. And then Burnley, another can be particularly, you know, a tough game. Um, I feel like he won't get away with it much longer, I have to admit. I think well, when, I think when you say he won't get away with it, what do you mean, Ollie? Well, I just I feel like, you know, there has to come a point where, OK, the pre-season's over now. These guys have played enough matches to be to have the match fitness and to be combining as you want them to to be doing. I feel like that's that's kind of what he's trying to get at in his press conferences. And I think that it won't, in the media at least, it probably won't fly too much longer um, because everyone's in the same boat. You know, everyone in the Premier League has, has struggled. Chelsea, probably more than most, I would say, obviously. You know, one pre-season game against Brighton where quite a few of the players weren't around as well. So, yeah, I would say that it's, it's that... that idea of it still being a pre-season he will want to end as much as everyone else will as well yeah, I think that's right I mean I mean what I would say though there is I think there is still a mitigation because that's what you were alluding to a minute ago you know when you've got as many as six new players in your first team it's like having a completely new team and it is mm. going to take time to gel so right. yeah. I mean I, I'm you know Frank would be the last to make any excuses but I think there is one there. It is going to take time and we need to be patient. Somebody, Arivaro, asked a brilliant question and we've all kind of figured out that this is a bit of a love sport reunion. You probably don't know this, but we've got Matt Beadle coming on as our opposition view in a minute. So it's going to be a complete love sport reunion. In the spirit of our love sport Friday night shows, uh, Arivaro says, what was Frank Lampard's vibe like? Uh, it was pretty relaxed, I have to say. I think he was in a pretty pretty good mood he was uh you know i think if he was coming off the back of the uh i think the southampton press oh sorry the pre severe press conference was a little bit more um edgy he was a bit more you know obviously with everything that was going on but he's you know he was very relaxed he was more relaxed after the severe game as well i feel like the performance um you know was all was all pretty uh made him pretty happy with the situation going on. And, and today was, was exactly the same. I felt like there was a pretty, um, 
you know chilled vibe more than more than everything he, he seemed very relaxed with the situation going on and you know it probably wasn't the toughest press conference he's ever had to, to deal with particularly but it was one that he uh you know was 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 pretty pretty comfortable and happy in mm. so I mean how important is it to get a result up at Old Trafford tomorrow and what would a good result be in Frank's head I mean obviously winning but you know yeah. realistically yeah, I, well, I think I would say, again, I mean, I think the perfect result would be another clean sheet, I have to say. I think to build on what they did against Sevilla on Tuesday night is would be would be perfect. Um, obviously, getting the three points, you know, everyone, all, all Chelsea fans will want that. I think, you know, a solid draw is would be would be pretty good. I think that's a good stepping stone to where they are. I mean, we know that, uh, that you know, United have some real attacking talent as well. Um the other side, I would say though, if, if they don't test United enough at the back, I feel like that will he won't be very happy with that at all. I feel like you know there is a lot of weakness there um, in United's defence. We saw that you know they they obviously dealt with PSG pretty well uh, in midweek themselves, and they you know with a guy like Marcus Rashford with with these other guys that we know that how they can be so strong. Cavani, we expect to be at some point, so that'd be quite interesting mm. seeing him at the pitch for United. But yeah, I would say you know coming away from Old Trafford with a draw. Is always good, but to show some, again they've backed up the defensive stability would be uh, probably on uh, one of the highest agenda for them. Brilliant, Ollie, you've been absolutely fantastic as ever. It's so lovely to have you back on. Hopefully, we'll get you back on real soon. And uh, until then, uh, stay safe and keep doing the great job that you do. Thanks very much, guys. I'll, uh, I'll Thanks, see Ollie. Brilliant. Cheers, mate. And I owe you an article or two. <laughs> no worries. but there you go great to see you ollie thank you so much right we're going to be back in a minute and we're going to uh we're going to have the lovely matt beadle on all right now matt of course used to present our love sports show but he's also talk about the goalkeepers theme uh clayton he also hosts the goalkeepers union podcast so we he does will, indeed we will, Very back, good it is. we will be back in a minute to talk about that Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Proper Chelsea. Footballfancast.com. Welcome back to the Chelsea Fancast uh, preview show with me, Stafford Chidge, him over there, Mr. Jonathan Kidd, and him up there. Mr. Clayton Beerman, and uh, we, we've just been talking to the lovely Ollie Harbord, from, uh, who's the Chelsea correspondent from Football.London. Very interesting to hear about him and the presser. But now it is time for this. The Opposition View. That's right, the good old Opposition View. And tonight, I mean, you know, as I said earlier on, this is a bit of a kind of a love sport reunion, really, and, and, and epitomised absolutely by the fact that our guest for the Opposition View... Uh, who is a Man United fan? Uh, he was very, uh, he was very diplomatic about this when he used to host this very show and try and keep us all in order on a Friday night. I love sport. How lovely to see you, Matt Beadle. Good evening, hello, gents. It is nothing but a pleasure to be back <laughs> on the airways with my favourite fan show cohorts. I can say that now because I doubt anyone else from the other fan shows is listening. So we're okay. <laughs> yeah, but if you were on the other fan shows, you'd say my favourite. Yeah. No, I think well, he meant well. that. I felt I felt you that. Reckon? I felt that okay. from the heart. I really, really did. Excellent stuff. Well, the first thing, Matt, how are you? Are you still doing the Goalkeepers uh, Union podcast with Rich? 
Yes, we are. We've been on a uh, a short hiatus, shall I say. If I'm going to put this in football terms, a few off the field issues. Mm. So sadly, we had to put it on hold with good and valid reason, I should say. But we are due to be back. We're actually going to be recording on the coming Tuesday. So we'll be back with a bit of a roundup about what we've missed. The last time we recorded was actually the beginning of August, I believe. So we're a good two and a half months on and we're going to do a roundup of everything in the goalkeeping world, all the action that took place, especially on deadline day. Rich was heavily involved in that. So yes, plenty to catch up on. And where can you hear it? You can hear it on the classic all good podcast providers. And some we rubbish are on... ones as well. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can find it just, just whacking goalkeepers union on on Spotify, on Acast, anything that you want to right. whack it into, and you'll find it. Well, do so, do send Rich my best when you when you see him. I I, mi- I tell you what, mate, I I miss the love sport thing hugely, and actually, what I miss is the people. You know, some really good people there. Oh, absolutely, mate. Yes, it is. It is heavily missed. It was a great operation, and listen, it's still been in Kelvin's words, mothballs. Yeah. So who knows? Who knows? We could be back. There have been talks for the past month or so. Yeah. So. Let's not let's not think that it's dead just yet. No, it might I, come back. I, I, I tell you, mate. Even though the utter ball ache of having to get up at five o'clock in the morning on a Sunday to drive to <laughs> London, I would do it like that. It was just that much fun. It really was. Um, now, listen. It would be really, really, really remiss of us uh, to have you on the show uh, before we get into the Man United stuff and not ask you about what you think about Kepper and and the Mendy situation and all of that. Well, I mean, I'm sure Clayton has some very strong opinions on this one too. <laughs> They're different to mine. They're different. <laughs> I bet Always they are. A bit of a scrap. So incidentally, I was with Rich today and we had a bit of a chat about this because uh, I did take a bit of time out and, and wasn't actually aware of some of the stuff that had gone on in football and in the goalkeeping world as well. So upon my catch-up, I discovered that Mendy had signed for Chelsea and I then also discovered and was informed by Rich that apparently Caballero has been the favoured number two, leaving Kepa completely frozen out as number three. Now, am I also correct in thinking that Petr Cech was even brought into the squad or named in the squad for the Champions League because well, they for literally... Premier, Premier League. Premier League. For the Premier League. Mm. So, I, I mean, I am I'm flabbergasted by this. We did a few bits and pieces on this towards the back end of last season about Kepa and the fact that you know, the damage really had already been done with the fact that Frank had come out and basically said he did not fancy him. I could never get my head around it. And we spoke about it numerous times on the show that Petr Cech was there in amongst the staff at Chelsea and he'd not really come out and said anything. And the fact that Frank hadn't even alluded to that, I thought was a bit strange. And quite clearly, they do not fancy him. I just can't believe that you've got, and this is the the surface level opinion really here, that you've got a 72, 73, whatever it was, million pound goalkeeper who cannot get in the side and is actually still at the club. It just astounds me. Yeah, but he's got the yips, mate. Uh, Yeah, I think so. I mean, he hasn't, the fact that he, uh, it's it's a really difficult one because at the back end of last season, you thought you've just got to keep him in. I know he had that that game, was it a six-game spell that he was out of the side when Caballero came in and then he got back into the side or was given that starting berth again. And you thought, right, it can go one of two ways. And he wasn't that bad towards the back end of the season from what I can recall. Oh, and then he you, was. Did you Did you really think he was that bad, kiddo? Oh, really? He was terrible. 
There's a couple of things. There's a couple of things, Matt, that I just want to say. Um, The thing is that his confidence is gone. But more importantly, I think, from Chelsea's perspective, is that the people in front of him have got no faith in him. Absolutely. And I think that's that that is the killer. The goal that we conceded last week against Southampton, I think that was just due to panic and 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 Zuma not thinking straight and thinking who was behind him and he forgot for a minute it was Kepa. And rather than just burying it in the stands, he passed it back to him and it was an awful back pass. Kepa was culpable, but Zuma was culpable as well. But I think that's the main thing. I think the fact that the guys that play with him have got no confidence in him. I feel terribly, terribly sorry for him, which everybody does. But when all said and done, and and I've thought about this a lot and I've, I've written about it, you can't actually think, and I'm not talking about last week, I'm talking about last season, you can't actually think, oh my God, what a howler. You can't actually think there was any particular goal which was was dreadful but the fact remains and it and it, it it's the same this season he can't keep the ball out he's basically his his shot to save ratio is the worst in the premier league and the amount of goals that we've conceded against the amount of shots that we've conceded only points to him not being good enough he doesn't make any of those saves that you'd expect from a world-class goalkeeper that supposedly 75 million pays for. He 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 looks he looks like you a can't, you can't the, the the price tag is a red herring. Well, all right, because well, well, 45 million. I think, because I think a, better, a better way a better way of putting it a better way of putting it is I mean I don't know if Matt saw the game against Sevilla, but you know what you expect from a, your goalkeeper is to dig you out of the doo doo, uh, not the da da. The doo-doo. That was, it was doo-doo, wasn't it? That was, it was a police reference, man. I'm trying not to swear, basically, but you, you you expect and you need your goalkeeper to you know get you out of the poo when everything else breaks down. And that's what Mendy did. We we talked about the save where he, he kind of literally poured the ball away from danger and we would have been 1-0 down had he not done that. That's what you you expect from your goalkeeper and Kepa seemed to be incapable of doing that. I would, I mean, just just to add on this, in terms of a financial perspective, a boardroom perspective, we've spoken extensively about the fact that he was, you know, one of Marina's kids to come in, basically, Mm. and the money that was splashed on him. Chelsea are now in that quandary as to whether they just go, do you know what, we'll scrap it, we'll take 10, 20 million for him, because as soon, and as soon as Frank Lampard came out towards the back end of last season and basically said, I don't fancy him, there is absolutely no way that Chelsea were going to be able to recoup the cash that they'd initially put out on Kepa. There was potentially a way that they could have masked it in a sense and, and you know, bought a Yano Black. And we wrote about this, that you kind of buy Yano Black for X amount and then you throw in Kepa as part of the deal. So he kind of keeps his value sort of in a hidden kind of way. But now there's absolutely no way. So from a business perspective, it's an absolute disaster. Yeah, no, that's true. Look, Matt, we should talk about United. That's what we've got you on. Uh, tonight obviously but it just would have been stupid not to talk about what you thought about that given mm. given you know your podcast are rich um and of course i haven't seen you for ages so we haven't we ever <laughs> talk about it normally we'd have been able to talk about this but uh 
clearly United picked up a really, really good win against PSG uh, this week uh, in the Champions League. But, you know, most of the people that, that I know and, and, and talk to, uh, perhaps not necessarily um, even-handedly, but the, a lot of people are saying that this is the worst United side over the last couple of years that they've seen in recent memory. I mean, do you think that's unfair? Yes, I do. I do think I'm that's very unfair. not surprised to hear you say that, but mm. I had to ask that question. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Listen, for, for those who have listened to the show before and me talking about Manchester United and those who listen to, to Love Sport will know that, I don't know, it's kind of hard to, to explain, really. We can go all the way back to, and I'll, I'll quickly try and sum this up. You know, I started supporting United in... 1988-89 I then grew up in that era of glory hunter I don't know well before Sir Alex's <laughs> first trophy I'll have you know I know I know. but that that era of you know say what you like about the Premier League and the fact that football did of course exist before the Premier League but I grew up in that time of unparalleled success for Manchester United under Sir Alex Ferguson so when he left in 2013 and we had David Moyes and the a pretty indifferent season there. We had the turgid football that Louis van Gaal brought to the club. We had the absolute unmitigated disaster of a certain Portuguese boss. <laughs> and then we have Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, a former hero, has tried to return the club to what it was before. Yes, he's not quite got it bang on the money yet. We know that. But I'm quite happy. I watched United win trophy after trophy from, you know, the best part of 1990 all the way through to 2013. We've won trophies since. We've won the Europa League. We've won the FA uh, the, the FA Cup and the whatever it is now, the Carabao Cup. And, you know, we finished third last season, which was quite an extraordinary achievement considering where the club were before that. Towards the back end of last season, I thought when it returned football after lockdown, and we won't get into what I think is the absolute debacle of football even being played right now. I did think the football that United were playing was some of the best football I'd seen in a heck of a long time since Sir Alex. Now, if we're going to say, or we're going to talk about the game coming up between United and Chelsea, I think the semi-final last season was a pivotal moment where he potentially lost some of the dressing room. I do believe that because he decided to turn into Claudio Ranieri, tinker with the team. I wanted him to go all out for the FA Cup. You speak to the most ardent United fans, and yes, being in the Champions League is whatever it is. I don't really care about the Champions League. I don't rate the competition. I've never rated the competition. I'm much more about domestic success. And you speak to the majority of real United fans, they would have wanted an FA Cup trophy last season. That's what I believe. And I think that Oli got so mirrored by um, wanting to be in the Champions League that he obviously didn't throw the semi the semi final against Chelsea, but he put out a side. It didn't help with David De Gea not having a particularly good game on that occasion. But the football that I saw from United before that was some of the best I've seen in a long time. Now I watched the game in the week against PSG, and I thought United were pretty decent. So. I don't think this is the worst United side I've seen in a long time. I think we're a centre-back short. I still do not rate Victor Lindelof, not by a long shot. I don't think he's got the ability to be a top, top centre-half. He's a good player, but I don't think he's a title-winning centre-half. And, you know, you can say what you like about the middle of the park. I still think that that is okay if you just persevere a little bit. You know, Is is Pogba still a bit of an issue? I think Pogba is is still in the sense... Well, I remember Gary Neville saying about Anton Martial about a season and a half ago. He said before one game, he said, you're petrified of letting Martial go 
because of the player that he might become. Mm-hmm. Now, when you look at what Martial did last season, that was quite true. I know he's not got on the score sheet this season, but he was brilliant last season and started to return to the player that we saw when he first signed for the club under Louis van Gaal. You kind of still think that about Paul Pogba, but you're losing patience with it because how long are we going to have to wait? And he's in his late 20s now. And Paul Pogba is, again, we're talking about Paul Pogba all the time. We're talking about Paul Pogba. Paul Pogba's a good player, but he's just not the world-class superstar. On his day, he can be. But as we've always said, show after show on Love Sport, as we always say in every conversation we have, he does not do it week in, week out. And he continues to play this YouTube style of football that just doesn't wash it every week in the Premier League. I think, you know, one, one of the things that, that's occurred to me for quite a long time, actually, and, and I, I I did write an article on it. I don't think Oli put it up. It's a shame he's not here. I could ask him why not. But I think there are, par- I mean, parallels are often made between Oli and Frank Lampard. And, and in some ways, they're quite justified. They're both former players. Um, I mean, I think Lampard's clearly a bigger legend at Chelsea than Oli is at United, although Oli hugely loved for the, for the you know, Champions League Goal he scored in 99 and, and other goals too. But they're young managers, both managing massive clubs, and the spotlight is on them hugely. And, and, it, and it seems to me that they both get a lot of criticism. And I, I, I often wonder in my less myopic times if this is entirely justified on both counts. Um, I think you're right in terms of Frank certainly being a, a, a more of a superstar at Chelsea than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is at Manchester United. And if we look at the, let's, let's actually look at the team, right? I'll give you a very quick starting 11 right now, right? So this is when people say this is the worst United side they've seen in years. David De Gea, on his day, a world-class goalkeeper. That's, there's no doubt about that whatsoever. And he made a couple of very, very good saves against PSG that went unnoticed because those are the types of saves that go unnoticed. And Steve McManaman, in all his glory, there was one particular one that came in on the angle and De Gea did his classic technique where he made a very, very good save from close range. Didn't know much about it, says Steve McManaman. Well, actually, he did, Steve. He got himself in a fantastic <laughs> position. Don't tell me Steve order. McManaman got something yeah. wrong, Matt. I mean, he knew. Absolutely ridiculous. But we take David De Gea. Then you've got Aaron Wambasaka, one of the best right-backs in the country, which is blessed with brilliant right backs at the moment you've got Luke Shaw who I do still personally rate someone gave me a stat the other day and said Luke Shaw is the only player I think in the Premier League they were talking about fantasy football that has played all the games or something and still has zero points to offer I still think Luke Shaw is there to be a very very decent left back I like him he gets stick but I like him you look at the two centre backs Harry Maguire I'm okay with Harry Maguire Victor Lindelof no Eric Bailly also I don't really think is there as a top, top level centre-back. And then you take your midfield, Paul Pogba, decent. Bruno Fernandes has been a revelation since he arrived at the club. Fred, give or take Fred, he was pretty good in the week, I thought, against PSG. Again, on his day, he can be very good. And you take that front three, Anthony Martial, very good. Marcus Rashford, very good. Mason Greenwood, very, very good. You throw Edison Cavani into that mix and, of course, Odion Igalo, and you've got a decent front five there. So in terms of the personnel at the club and a possible starting 11 that we can have, Juan Mata to come in, Scott McTominay, who certainly can do a job and again in the week did a job against PSG. No, absolutely not. I do not think this is the worst United 11 that I've seen. So like like Frank and in a parallel in a sense, do you think do you think Oli will, will get the time? I mean, one of the things that I think is interesting about Oli, he has brought a lot of the, the United youngsters through and, and like Jody Morris, you know, he spent time coaching the youngsters at United. Do you think 
uh, you know, Ollie will get the time to to make his plan work. So I think he has got a plan. Or or will the pressure of being at such a big club and that that huge desire for you know quick success mean that he might not? I think he has to. I think he has to be given the time because if we look at what's happened at United since Sir Alex left, and we always kind of use that, don't we, as that benchmark. When Sir Alex left in 2013, David Moyes, not given time, but certainly didn't go into the job in the way that he should have gone into the job. Absolutely was not prepared and wasn't really given enough time. Was told in April by Sir Alex, listen, you're you're going to have the job. Had no time to prepare for that job whatsoever. And I think he even said, you know, the blood drained from my face when I got told, well, that's not what you want to hear, is it? From a, from a manager who's going to take on probably the greatest job in the world. And I think that pre-season as well, you remember those pictures of him out in Australia or China, wherever it was, completely didn't know what was going on. Louis van Gaal, again, two seasons. Jose Mourinho, two and a bit seasons as well. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has to be given the time because there is a project there. And he's got Michael Carrick. He's got Kieran McKenna, two very good um, young uh, personnel on his side who are potentially going to be the future of the club, as is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I think he has to be given time. I think if it had been a disaster, which it hasn't been yet, yes, you know, losing 6-1 at home to Spurs is certainly not the best result in the world. But I also do think football is completely skewed at the moment with the fact that there are no fans and we are seeing results like we saw as well later on that day with Liverpool losing 7-2 to Aston Villa. That's not a real result. It's just... Matt, the, the referees are better, Matt. Well, the referees aren't as much under, aren't under as much pressure, and they're relying on VAR a lot now, rather than uh, mm. rather than ignoring VAR. They've somehow their egos have come into line with the technology. <laughs> Matt, we should talk about the game, really. I mean, you know, how do you think United will approach it? I mean, my own view is is, is that we would be foolish to go, you know, full throttle against them because that will absolutely play into their hands. They're devastating on the counter. And we've we've been rinsed when we've tried to do that, um, but we've got a very good attacking lineup, so maybe we can open them up in a way that we haven't been able to before. I think it's a hard one to call, but how do you think United will approach it? I think you're right. I think it is a hard one to call, and I would love to see full throttle on full throttle. I just want to see a good game of football. I'm finding it really difficult to watch football at the moment because of the fact that there are no fans and. You know, this, oh, let's all pay 15 quid for a game. Thank yeah, you very much. I'm sure you've spoken about this at length on the podcast. But I think that Oli will approach it in the way he's approached games in the Premier League against Chelsea in recent seasons. And I don't think, I saw some of your notes, your extensive notes, by the way, Chigi. As always, I would expect nothing less. I think I'm sure Kiddo has read them cover to cover. He's going um, to recite them later. As well. <laughs> what page are they on? <laughs> I do think that I know you mentioned that have United kind of got a psychological advantage over Chelsea at the moment not really I think results have been relatively equal in recent seasons when you look at the, uh, the the Premier League results the FA Cup results of course you hammered United last season there was the FA Cup final a few seasons before that I know that Oli has had decent fortunes and you go back to the 4-0 at the start of last season I would imagine a very similar performance to that I don't think I think it will be quite an open game I think that he will go all out to maybe get something in the first half and potentially see the game off in the first half but I don't think that will happen I think Frank Lampard is far more tactically astute than he's actually 
given credit for. And I'm sure you've probably spoken a lot about that on the podcast because Frank, like Ollie, is is one of those guys who's really, really studied the game in his downtime. And I don't think either of them get enough credit for that. Yeah. Totally agree with do you, that. Do you, do you not think, sorry to interrupt, Matt, but do you not think, and, and, and I'm beginning to see this, that they are, that they may over-analyse stuff? Mm. Because I, I, I sort of, I get frustrated with Frank sometimes because I think that he's sort of more reactive rather than proactive. But I also think that he's so intense and he's so fixated with what's on the pitch that sometimes... He needs to stand back, or he needs to have somebody next to him stand back and say, "Do you think?" And that that might be happening. I don't know. Um, for example, I mean, like last week against Southampton, it was fairly obvious that Southampton had sort of massively up their press in the second half, and I don't think that he reacted quickly enough to stop it. I think you're right. I think they do sometimes overthink it. I think there is a danger. I also think that, and this is specific perhaps more to Ollie, that he's got it in his mind that he has to do things in the game at certain times because that's what he's learned from predecessors or that's what he believes that he should do. And I think sometimes that clouds his judgment of what's actually going on during the game as it is happening. What Ollie does have, and I've mentioned it before, you know, in the past, Mike Feel, and you've got. Michael Carrick and McKenna, who are always there on the touchline, sometimes ahead of Ollie, barking orders. So I do think that he puts faith in the guys that are working with him. But you can guarantee it. And I tell you, if United are a 2-1 up and there are five minutes to go, he will make, you know, two or three subs in that period. Very much like Jose Mourinho used to do to just see out the game. But Ollie will do it because he just thinks that he has to, because that is part of the, the managerial rule book that he's learned. Whereas sometimes, and we've seen it in games, there are a couple of games towards the back end of last season when you just thought, what? don't make the substitution. You don't need to make the substitution. Just see out the game. And invariably, whoever it was that we were playing, I think would either get an equaliser or sometimes get back into the game when there was absolutely no need for it. You think a lot of managers do that, Matt. I get that impression. Yeah. With five minutes to go, they'll they'll put defenders on, and you think as, as a spectator, hang on, we were doing really well attacking them because we were then pushing them back, and surely we could have carried on and seen the game out like that, rather than suddenly being completely on the back foot by having them attack and attack and attack, and we've only got defenders on, and there might be a goal scored with a, an, an unlucky deflection. I'm, I've never quite got into that I don't get that if the game is going one way and you look as if you might even score again why suddenly defend why put the pressure Jose sub always or used to always make a substitution on the hour Rafa always made a substitution on 65 minutes it's it's bizarre you're Ranieri, quite right Ranieri always made a substitution on 70 and it was always Zola regardless of <laughs> and play. Sarri of course Kovacic oh. for Jorginho or Bar- Barkley, Barkley for Kovacic, wasn't it? The old 71 minutes. Minute yeah. Oh, is it 61 minutes? 61 yeah, minutes. Matt, before we let you go, uh, we're going to get you to stick your colours to the mast. What do you, you know? What do you think? The prediction, match prediction. I'm going to say a full throttle thriller, two apiece. Two two. Okay. Mm. Yeah, I think. I think. Well, I mean, I said there was going to be loads of goals in the severe game, and I said it on bloody talk sports. I made myself look a right plum, but there you go. <laughs> I settled for the nil nil. Matt. <laughs> 
Uh, we shall see tomorrow. All will be revealed then. I just have to say, it's really lovely to see you. We've missed you terribly doing the love. We're not allowed show. to say ours, so that we. No, we're doing it in a minute. If you'd have read the flaming running <laughs> order, you'd know <laughs> that. <laughs> You're in your last yeah, getting great rid of him. Great honestly. Matt, it's been brilliant seeing you. As I said, we re- we really miss doing Love Sport. We really miss seeing you on a Friday night. It was always great fun. Uh, so uh, enjoy yourself, stay safe, and hopefully we will see you again soon. Nothing but a pleasure, gents. Thank you very much. Brilliant, brilliant Matt. Look forward to listening to the Goalkeepers Union podcast. They've got withdrawal symptoms. <laughs> real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Up the Chelsea! Footballfancast.com First thing, really, for us to talk about is, you know, clearly Mendy and Silva have to start, which I absolutely believe they will. But the first kind of obvious question to ask is, James or Aspie, Clayton? Uh, I, I, I think we can trust James to, to defend now. He was great. I, he was great during the week. He was absolutely... Uh, I mean, basically, his performance for England, I think, was was a bit of a sea change for him. I thought he was outstanding. Yeah. Uh, and I I think that um, that he will start over Asby. Although I did actually see quite an interesting lineup on Twitter earlier on today, which suggested potentially playing five at the back with Asby in the middle with uh, Silver and Zuma. Who did that? Who suggested that? I, I can't remember. Okay. I mean, that would be interesting. But, I, <clears throat> I mean, you know, this is another issue, actually, isn't it? Because, you know, from everything that we've seen so far this season, something I've grumbled about a bit, really, you know, me with my UA for A and B badges, clearly know much more than Frank Lampard. But, Obviously. you know, he, he, he seems to be very intent on playing this four-two-three-one, And I can understand it because it means he can play a lot of the you know, new creative and attacking players that we've got, the likes of, you know, Havertz, uh, Pulisic, Mount, you know, p- possibly Zayic as well. Who knows? I can understand that. I, I And I can understand why he's he's much, uh, much happier playing four at the back when he's got, you know, Aspie stroke James, Chilwell, you know, got a decent left back now. You know, okay, when Silva's fit, we've got two centre-backs as well that can play. So, you know, I get that. Well, but, one and a half. Well, yeah, yeah, well, you know what I mean. But, you know, the, the trouble is, I, I, I think that there's... I think the biggest problem that we've got is actually not shoehorning Mountain, necessarily. I think the problem is, if you're going to play four-two-three-one, Frank, I don't think it works with Kante and Jorginho or Jorginho and Kovacic or Kovacic and Kante, necessarily. I think we get out outnumbered uh, in midfield far too much and I and I, I just don't think they fully understand what their roles are supposed to be or they're incapable of adapting to whatever it is he wants and we quite often see too big a gap between them and the attacking players that we've got and I think that's possibly the defence aside the biggest problem that we got JK. Um, he doesn't have the pace for me, Jorginho, to deal with it. All right, he's, he seems to be a one-trick pony that we're looking for somebody who just plays that devastating long ball over the top for Werner to run onto. But um, And I, I was going to bring up the fact that I, I don't quite know what Kovacic is doing anymore. I thought he was fantastic for us last season. and uh, I thought he was good. Good. He was player of the year. It's good Did when you, he came on against Sevilla, I thought. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That seemed to be a, a, a different role for him. I think when he played in when he came on against Southampton, I, I, he seemed to disappear. I don't, I don't see him. I don't know what he's doing. He's not bringing the ball out very much. He's not doing the kind of things that he did last season. The strengths that he had, winning the ball and bringing it away, and and putting putting three people through. So it, it, he, he, whether he's happy with that role? No, I agree completely. I think. Um, uh, I'm not quite sure how the midfield works, given that Kante, of course, well, has it, do- it doesn't, Jonathan. No, it doesn't. It indeed why he runs. He seems to be up front a lot, and you think, well, you're now only got two players back, one of whom is very slow and is forced to foul every time. The number of early, early yellow cards that Jorginho gets as a consequence of uh, of not being very quick is um, is always negative for the team because then you're worried about him doing another one like that, and so is he. So uh, I didn't. I didn't think BT mentioned it enough that he was on a booking. No, no, fully enough. <laughs> they were praying for him to get sent off, weren't they? they? Were, weren't they? Oh my god! I know. But I, I think you you two are spot on. I think that the the biggest problem is the fact that, and this happened against Southampton, is being overrun in midfield, and and whether it means that we just have to play at four three three, and bring another body back into midfield. I don't know. I mean, the, the 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 obvious thing to do is to do whatever Jose did <laughs> weeks ago. Yeah, is to whatever formation he played, we should play that. I mean, they well, were rely heavily on the big boot, didn't he? Boot they they booted it a lot, and Son yeah. Son ran onto it because Son is absolutely. Well, I mean, how much speed have we got up front? Yeah. Pulisic, Werner. Well, but I think I think though he's going to be very very. I think he'll try and play the way they played against Sevilla and that he'll not press them very much and he'll sit back and they'll rely on a on a on a big boot up the pitch. But the, I, I don't think there's gonna be I, I honestly think he'll be relying more on keeping a clean sheet than he will on attacking. And and I can understand that. I mean, given our recent record against them, given that we got walloped four yeah. 0 last year, given that actually the priority at the moment and and frankly, rightly so because as we keep saying, and has been said many times before by cleverer people than us, defences win you titles, attacks win you games. And if you're gonna if you're gonna build something at this club, we're gonna challenge for titles. You you've got to build it from the back. So I have no problem with that per se. But I mean, the interesting thing, Jonathan, the irony is, is that that was what Frank was saying after the Southampton match was that he wanted them to go long. Because Southampton yeah. were pressing us much higher. Right. And, and we've got it, the likes it. of Werner. So put a bloody ball over the top. Stop. It's almost Valky, very nearly. Stop mucking about and passing it sideways and backwards. Just get a quick ball up to Werner. I think Mendy seems to be much more on the case when it comes to actually booting the ball down the pitch. Yeah. Players. Notice specifically that. picking players out. That what was very impressive as well. Was he looks up and chooses somebody and is accurate. In a way that I'm afraid uh, our our erstwhile uh, top keeper uh, it just isn't capable of doing. I mean, but do, do you uh, do you not do you not absolutely desperately want to see Timo Werner playing up front with Oli Giroud? Well, that would be a very interesting um, set. I mean, I'm not I'm not talking about sa- Saturday because I don't think that's a a thing for Saturday. I yeah. think we need the three pacey pronged attack up front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think maybe maybe for the the Champions League game. Mm. Because you're right, Frank basically said I wanted them to play long. Well, why didn't you bring on Oli Giroud? Because if you're playing long, 
There is nobody better in the Premier Holding League the to hold the ball up and play in your your other strikers. I mean, I, I I think it's such a shame because I think I've become so fond of Giroud from his performances of last season that you just think surely they can accommodate him somehow. I mean, he, for me, he's ahead of Abraham just because of his... He's a brilliant player, Giroud, who scores fantastic goals. And if they can somehow... I don't know how you work it. I mean, I will always look back to the the Everton game, the 4-0, where I know we had... Gil, it was a different side because Gilmore ran it. But you had Giroud up front and it seemed somehow that he had discovered, you know, the... Uh, it was the... He got the magic lamp out there, Frank, and it was... Um, it was uh, um, it was the best combination. It seemed to work for me, and we've we've not played as well as that or with this. Obviously, he's changed the personnel, but it was a kind of template that I thought he would be pursuing, and um, uh, it clearly is is he just doesn't quite fit into it anymore. But I agree with you. Perhaps he could try that out. You know, if if perhaps it's a situation that he wants to try it when we're three nil up or something with twenty minutes to go, then it would be intriguing to see what he could come up with. But I I'm not convinced that we're going to see. Giroud at all this season um, just going back to the midfield a second I, I do wonder at times I mean you know my, my problem with it basically is that we we I think we desperately need somebody and we don't have somebody who is prepared to sit you know and really 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 be that defense you know the Makaleli role the classic Makaleli role where they just sit they break up play. They get a nosebleed if they go over halfway line. They give it to somebody who's creative and they, 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 they protect the back four. Well, they don't have one exactly. But I wonder if, 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 if Frank may have... I, I wonder if this is all to do with the fact that he expected Declan Rice to be signed. You know, and and I do think getting Declan Rice will solve that problem, and I really think he's probably the best person to do that job because that's exactly what he does. Uh, but do, do you not think Billy Gilmore could do that? I don't think he's big enough. And I know that sounds like a bit of a stupid, trite comment, but I think you need a bit of muscle in there. You know, you need muscle, power, strength and pace, as well as being a great ball player and intelligence. And I'm not sure. I think Billy Billy Gilmore is better as a more more traditional kind of middle-of-the-pitch midfielder, you know? I mean, you think um, he might grow into a Billy Bremner or an Archie Gemmell? Yeah, but Billy Bremner used to get forward a lot and score goals. Archie Gemmell was a brilliant, creative player. No, they both were as well, but they they were they were they were dirty buggers. Oh yeah, they were, and I I think he's got a bit of edge to him, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I mean, it's that discipline of sitting in front of the back four. That is your job. That's what you do. You break up the play. play You should just tell him to play that way. But he he won't. He he doesn't seem to let him do it. But well, he seems to allow him to to wander upfield and then leave the space. I felt when in the season we won with Mar- under Mourinho... But that was the double pivot, played, wasn't it? it? Yes, he played further back, didn't he? Yes, so You have Matic, it? didn't you? Matic was there for him, absolutely, yeah. You see, so in a, in a sense with a double pivot, you've got two very similar players doing that role interchanging, taking it yeah. in turns. You can't do that, I don't think, with Jorginho, because if you leave Jorginho on your own in that kind of last-ditch midfielder role, he quite often gets outrun. Yeah, every, you know, quite often, every time, and off, and fouls, he, or leaves it alone, yeah. as he did in the cup final. I mean, the other thing, I know we've said this, Kevin, lovely Kevin Guest has just said this on Mixler, you know, what about Ampadu? And and I, I agree, I think Ampadu could play that role, but sadly he's at Sheffield United not getting a game, so I don't know. But uh, listen, we could talk about this for a whole hour, I reckon, and we should not really, because we've got other things to talk about. Um, 
Not least, of course, the fact that we have actually got a rather poor record, as I was alluding to earlier on, against United up at Old Trafford in recent times. We've not beaten them up there since 2013. That's seven years. Gulp. And we, all, we all know who our manager was then. 2013? Was it? Was Rafa. It? Oh, it wasn't, was it? Was it really? It was when Mattis, it was Matter scored, didn't they? We won 1-0. That really pains me to know that. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. It, it is. It's extraordinary because I, you know, for for I think that we were the most successful yeah. side at Old Trafford yeah. during Alex Ferguson's reign. That's absolutely true. Absolutely true. So. And and for some reason, it's just fallen off a cliff. Every every year in the last well seven years, we've gone there and said, "Oh, we've got a really good record at Old Trafford." No, we haven't. <laughs> Not anymore. Hmm. I think you know the reality is look. I think I think having having we will have Mendy and Silva playing, and I think we've already seen in the two games that they've played for us that we are a much better and a much different team, certainly defensively when those two are playing, and I and that fills me with a lot more confidence than say you know the lineup that we had against Southampton last weekend. I as always think that it will depend upon having an early goal and United. I mean the the, the notes that you got it's very interesting actually this this flash flash score app that I use religiously they do brilliant uh, previews because it's all built around the betting market so they're quite stats heavy but they're right you know United are very good at getting early goals not least through uh, you know Fernandez dodgy penalties of course so we we really got to be careful about conceding a penalty but I do think you know getting an early goal against them is really really important but I, 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 I do worry that Frank's going to go gung-ho. And I think every time we've tried that against United, it's played into their hands, apart from the, the, the semi-final last year where we did really, really well, of course. JK? I know. I don't think he'll go gung-ho at all. I think he'll, um, uh, he'll, he'll emphasise the defensive qualities. And uh, they won't press. They won't go very far up the field um, unless, some, unless it's necessary because they, uh, they've gone behind. But uh, I, I don't think we're going to concede. Actually, I think we're going to be one. I think it'll be uh, um, it'll be a very low-scoring game. I think he's much more concerned at the moment about the defence, making the defence work, and it'll need to be a, a snatched goal of brilliance in the same way it was against um, uh, uh, Sevilla that didn't happen, but it almost was if uh, if uh, Werner had, had his shooting boots on. No, I, I think he's more concerned at the moment with, um, with with making it watertight, and I don't think we'll come out very much. Uh, it is, however, it creates a negative situation. I remember old um, Dean Mears put, "I can't believe it." He said, "We've employed Havertz at, at, um, at ninety million in order to to uh, to rely on on um, defending and then scoring goals on the break." He put. Yeah, well, I, th- which, I think I think Dean needs to go back to football school. <laughs> you know. well, there was a. I know what he meant, though. It was a touch of, of it was defensive and then and then we broke, which uh, um, at the moment, I, th- I think it's it's in transition, this this idea. I think he wants them to defend well and then he will try and implement the two. And I'm not convinced he's quite got it yet. No, and so I, I agree. And I, I think it's it, more. it's a WIP, you know, but I have no problem with that. You know, you need you've got to build from the back solid for Christ's sake. Frank learned, I would imagine. So I would hope that he learned a lot from Jose Mourinho, and that is the Jose Mourinho blueprint. You know, look at the defence we had under Jose. You know, you build from the back. You know, because you know we we were 
joking, slightly moaning about, oh my God, are we going to be watching a bloody Kevin Keegan team this year? Now, yeah, it might be fabulously entertaining, but my poor old ticker can't take that. I'd, I'd happily, and I know that people love entertainment and I know all this and I know all that, but I like winning. And I would, you know, 1-0 every game this season and we win a title, I'd be happy with that. I really, really would. Um, but I think my worry, Clayton, about tomorrow is that we know United like to hit people on the counter. If we try and play the same way, will they not just cancel each other out? I... D- I it... it... My my concern is that anybody that watches us play know that we can't deal with um, a press and we've got to pick a side that, that can cope with that. Um, I just think any well-coached side, and you saw Sevilla did that, they, they didn't give us um, a moment on the ball. But to be fair, I think we pressed quite well as well. Um, I think it was a high-quality performance on Tuesday... Um, to a point, and the point being that we couldn't create anything, which is a great shame. I think, and I know this is a, it's not meant in a flippant way, but Manchester United, Old Trafford's a bigger pitch than Stamford Bridge. And I'd like to think there's more opportunity for Havertz, or not so much Havertz, but but Werner and Pulisic, um, to stretch them. I think they'll be they'll be just as wary of us as we will be of them. And I, I just I just hope that if we are having problems and then Frank addresses it, which I, I didn't perceive that he did against Southampton. Mm. Well, um if you want to get a kind of a bit of a reading of the runes here, uh basically I know I know they've got a good record against us, but United are winless in their last three Premier League matches. And if they lose against us tomorrow, as we all sincerely hope that they do, uh, that means they would have lost three consecutive top-flight home games for the first time since the 1978-79 campaign. And at the moment, they're on a run of four Premier League home games without a victory. And the interesting thing is, is that, you know, we 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 concede early a lot. And, you know, as, as I was saying, we need to avoid conceding early as well as we need to score a goal early, I think. But anyway, enough of me warbling on. <clears throat> Nail your colours to the mast, gentlemen, please. JK. 1-1. One, 1-1. One. One, one. Clayton? Uh, I'm going to go 2-1 to us. Yeah, me too, mate. I, 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 I have actually genuinely predicted that in our Premier League Predictions League, which I should remind you... Yeah, have, good man. Okay, well, actually, it's time to have a quick look at that because if you haven't put in your Premier League predictions for this weekend, you are too late because it kicked off at eight o'clock tonight. Because of course Leeds are playing Villa, but I can tell okay. you, yeah, but I can tell you uh, what happened last week. What a bizarre week! And for once, for once so far this season, J.K., I am a happy, happy camper, and I'll tell you for why in a minute. But the best news of all, and I don't know if she's in here listening. But Claire O'Connell, Claire, Claire McConnell, conflated Claire and Clive then, didn't I? Claire McConnell is now leading the Chelsea Fancast Premier Prediction Premier League Predictions League, uh, which is brilliant. She she had a brilliant week. She got 140 points, which I think is more than anybody else. No, she wasn't the winner in terms of points scored this week, I don't think. I think that was uh, Chris Thomas. Uh, he got 143. But Claire got 140, so she's now leading... Joe Mingola by uh, a hefty 14 
points, I think 16 points. So, Claire, well done, you. That is fan bloody tastic. Um, I'm afraid the Chelsea fancast mob are kind of letting the side down rather badly, JK. I am sitting proudly, <laughs> proudly at the bottom pit. Yes. <laughs> proudly. JK. Two points. No, well, you got two points this week, but you're now bottom of the table with minus 65. Sorry, minus 65. Yeah, yeah. But to uh, be fair, I didn't do the first two weeks. So, you know, it's only fair that I would. I think that would have possibly been an advantage, mate. Okay, well, I might not do them for the next few weeks then. It might, so not- it might help. Mind you, Dean, Dean's given up entirely. He's bailed out. But uh, Tony Glover is, uh, you know, you, you, one place above you, shall we say, on minus one point. Uh, Dane uh, is in 28th. This is out of 31, by the way. Dane is in 28th position with 42. I have shot up the table. I was keeping you all company down the bottom, JK. But I got 137 points this week. So I've shot up to uh, 20th. Uh, Martin Wickham is in 15th Mark Meehan 12th Mark uh, Marco Worrell is 11th so Marco's doing the best out of us lot um, but well done everybody just so you know just I, I shall tell you the, the reason why I did alright uh, basically I I had a chat with Rob Shepard I don't know do you remember Rob Shepard? Yes. Yeah, journalist. Dear, dear old Rob. Yeah, I had a lovely chat with Rob. Rob West, is, Ham. West Ham fan. Absolutely right, JK. Rob is a massive, massive West Ham fan. Anybody who knows me, who knows the games that we've been playing, either the betting games or this game, will know that West Ham always let me down in these kind of games. So I was talking to Rob, and Rob said to me just before he went, he said, Chidge, it's going to be 3-3. I said, is it? He said, yeah, I'm sure of it. So I just thought, okay, I'd have no idea what it's going to be. I'll just tell you what Rob said. And I put down 3-3. 3-0, Spurs are up at half-time, and I'm absolutely cursing Rob. Uh, and then I, I stopped listening. And then I found out that it was 3-0 at the end of the match, and I couldn't believe it. And I, and as a result, that, that basically earned me uh, nearly all of my points, I think. It, uh, it earned me 134 points also because I had Spurs down as my bonus points for, for, you know, the quickest goal of the weekend. So I, I absolutely lucked out like you wouldn't believe. So there you go. You an extra 40, didn't you? For yeah, that? I know. Yeah. Absolutely bonkers, wasn't it? So I owe, I've already texted Rob to say, mate, I owe you a massive pint or three for that. So well done, Rob. Um, enough of all of that. Well done, Claire. Well done, Chris Thomas. Uh, keep going, people. Good luck uh, with all your results this weekend. Uh, hopefully JK can climb off the bottom. Um, who have you picked this week, mate? Uh, I don't know what you mean. Picked. I've just put the results. Now you know what I mean. Uh, I, I can't remember. Chief. Don't I worry. Do so quickly. The truth will be out the next week. Over. It'll be. I just go. That's that one. That's that one. That's it. Yeah. And that's it. I do. Probably, it, but... probably the reason why I'm um, minus sixty-five. Well, I, do you know what? In all seriousness, I I use no brain power in it at all. I just look at it. It takes me about a minute. I just do it on gut. I mean, I think you a bit like Frank. We shouldn't overanalyze this. You know what I mean? Anyway, that's it. Enough from us. It's been great fun, as always. Lovely to hear from Ollie Harbord. Lovely to hear from the Matt, uh, the wonderful Matt Beadle. Uh, lovely Matt to, was great. Wasn't he? Yeah, lovely to see him, wasn't it? Really was. Great having so many people in Mixler, as always. Uh, have a great weekend, you lot. Good luck to us lot tomorrow. Clayton, as always, a delight to see you tonight. It's been brilliant. Really liked it. It's good. Yeah. My first appearance on Friday night. Hopefully not my last. No, are you going to nip into the virtual <laughs> pub later? Uh, no. No. I, 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 there, I, there is only so much goodwill I can purchase. Uh, yes. 
do say hello to your lovely lady for me and thank I her. Will, thank her profusely. Uh, Jonathan, as I always, will. a delight to see you too, my friend. Have a great weekend. Great to be on the show. Great to be on with Clayton. Great to be on with you, Chid. Really enjoyable. All right. We will, uh, obviously, this will be going out as a podcast later, but we'll be back with you on Monday night uh, when Jonathan and I will be joined by the lovely Mark Meehan to look back at the uh, Man United game, obviously, and to look ahead to the Krasnodar game on the Wednesday. Uh, But until then, thank you very much. Thanks for listening. Uh, Keep it blue. Keep it Chelsea. Up the Chelsea. Up the Chelsea. Chelsea.